Uh, but please do turn in your Bible with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28. We're returning to our sermon series in the book of Proverbs. And in this sermon series, we're learning wisdom. Wisdom is an attribute of God himself. It's a part of who he is. And as a part of who God is, it is woven into the fabric of the world that we live in. And the book of Proverbs teaches us how we can live wisely, which is to say how we can live skillfully in God's world. And here in today's message, here in today's passage in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, we're learning wisdom for confessing, wisdom for confessing. When God came to find Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, after their sin, what were Adam and Eve doing? They were hiding themselves from each other and from God. And do you know what humanity has been doing generation after generation since that day? We have been hiding ourselves from each other and from God. Sometimes it's almost humorous how we try to hide ourselves from each other. Think of a toddler with a big, fat, saggy, smelly diaper. Parents know what I'm talking about, right? You can picture this, right? There's a way that a diaper is supposed to fit. And there's a way that a diaper fits when, let's just say, when it's full. It's big, it's fat, it's saggy, and it's smelly. And at that point, if you say to your two-year-old son, do you have a poopy diaper? And I don't know why we say things like poopy, because it's not cute, but we use these cute little phrases. Do you have a poopy diaper? At that moment, your two-year-old gets wide eyes sometimes and looks at you and begins to size you up. Trying to figure out, yeah, I can take this guy. I got this. And what does your two-year-old do? Nope. Are you poopy? Nope. Doesn't matter that the evidence is hanging right off his backside and that it can be smelled next door. The hiding impulse runs deep in our fallen human condition, even from toddlerhood. We practice this art of hiding. And this hiding instinct can continue throughout our lives, right? Maybe there's a guy who struggles with kind of a terrible weight of anxiety. A weight of anxiety that makes him kind of honestly a pain to be around with others. And occasionally leads him to kind of blow up in anger at other people around him. Listen, this guy most likely will do almost anything other than open up about those worries and anxieties to other people. A wife who doesn't feel the same affection she once felt for her husband might choose to put on a show and keep up appearances and 
pretend her way through life instead of getting the help her marriage needs. Long-time friends find convenient excuses to avoid each other because the pain of avoiding each other feels easier than taking a first step toward that heavy conversation which needs to happen. Or your manager yells at you and embarrasses you in front of the whole team and then tomorrow pretends like nothing ever happened. A church leader says something that offends a church guest, but instead of saying he's sorry and asking to hear more of the guest's perspective, he just goes on to tell all his friends about why that person was so easily offended. Or maybe worse, we've seen this too many times before, a church board leads, learns about an allegation that one of its pastors has treated a part-time staff member in a heavy-handed or even an abusive way. And instead of the church board members kind of leaning in and saying, we want to hear you out, instead the church board simply pushes this staff member aside and maybe even asks that staff member to sign a legally binding non-disclosure agreement. This kind of story has happened too many times. The hiding impulse can play out actually at a much wider scale, right? Between entire cultures. This past week marked, I think, the 106th anniversary of the beginning of the Armenian Genocide on June 24, 1915. I've shared before that my grandmother was Armenian. Her family narrowly escaped death under the Turkish regime in the Ottoman Empire. Before 1915, there were perhaps more than two million Armenian people living in modern-day Turkey. Nine years later, by the time the Ottoman Empire or the, the Turkish government was done with their official persecution, there were only about 500,000 left. 75% or more of the entire People died, disappeared, or fled for their lives. And to this day, the Turkish government denies any accusations or even proofs of genocide. And as you might imagine, this denial has done nothing to foster healing or reconciliation. Ethnic tensions still boil today, and not only in the Middle East. Perhaps even in our own country, I think there are echoes of this as well. Ethnic tensions boil to this day because of the impulse to downplay or minimize or hide or disregard sins of the past. What began with Adam and Eve's little attempts to keep things hidden, what began with Adam and Eve's attempts to keep things under control, has spiraled into a worldwide catastrophe of keeping sin concealed in an unhealthy and damaging way. This is the hiding impulse that we're all familiar with. When confronted even with the facts of our sins, as one author put it, we have a tendency to lie, we blame shift and make excuses, 
We tell people to mind their own business and point to the good things we've done instead. We rationalize that our motives were good or our action was not technically wrong. Instead of confessing, we choose to conceal, to hide. This is the hiding impulse. And Proverbs 28.13 shows us a couple of very significant problems with the hiding instinct. The first problem with the hiding instinct is that we are not nearly as good at it as we think we are. Look with me for a moment at Proverbs 28.13. We'll look just at the first line for now. It says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not succeed. Whoever conceals his transgressions won't do well in it. There's only one Spanish quiz that I remember from my entire time of taking high school Spanish for several years. It was a retake of a quiz from the previous week. You know what I mean by that? There's like a lot of the class had done poorly on the quiz. And so as kind of a teaching technique, the teacher was giving us a chance to retake the quiz. The class began with the teacher giving us our first quizzes from last week and giving us a few minutes to look them over and to study our graded quizzes with the students sitting next to us. And for my part, not to boast, but I had got an A on the first quiz. You all can kind of give me an air clap if you want to. As a result, I didn't bother to study much the second time around. I probably just talked with the student who was sitting next to me instead of actually studying our quizzes. And then it was time to put away our graded quizzes from last week. I dropped mine in the open backpack sitting next to my chair. The new quizzes are passed out. And I remember looking at the vocabulary words at the top of the quiz and realizing I didn't know them anymore. But I rationalized, I knew them last week and I already earned an A on this quiz. And so I leaned back in my chair and I took a quick peek down by my knees and I saw sure enough I could see Last week's quiz, with many of the vocabulary questions correct, sitting there in my open backpack. I wrote down one answer at the top of my quiz, so far one for one. And of course, nobody else would ever have to know about it, right? But then I didn't know the second vocabulary word either, and so I lowered my head again, but as I did, very stealthily I was sure, teachers understand exactly what I'm talking about, very stealthily I lowered my head once again, and my teacher asked if I had dropped something on the floor. No, I'm fine, I said. And I sat up, and I shuffled forward, and I began answering the parts of the quiz that I could answer. It still bothered me that I got an A just last week and I didn't know some of these answers. And so 
one more time, I stealthily kind of leaned back in my seat and peered down at the open backpack to see what answers would be waiting for me there. And as I looked into my backpack, a hand appeared. My teacher grabbed last week's quiz and held it up next to me. And I remember his words, that's cheating. Even more than his words to this day, I can still see the look in his eyes decades later, as some of you are very aware how old I am. I can still see the look in his eyes, a look of betrayal, a look of dismay, a look of personal offense disappointment, and I'm sure there were other consequences, at least for my grade. I don't remember any of that. All I remember was the look in his eyes, and that was punishment enough for me. See, that day I learned what Proverbs 28.13 is teaching us in the first line. Even if we succeed in keeping something concealed once or twice, Even if we succeed in deceiving others for a little while, we aren't nearly as good at concealing as we think we are. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, Proverbs 28.13 says. And maybe I can ask you just to reflect in your own life, whether in something small like a high school Spanish quiz or something much more significant that ended up with perhaps relational fallout? When have you seen this to be true in your life? That when you thought you had it all under control, when you thought you had so skillfully hidden it, When you thought you had taken care of the details, only then did you realize we're not nearly as good at keeping things hidden as we think we are. Have you begun to admit that you are not as good at hiding as you assume? The way we hide from others is one thing in our relationship with other people. But the way that we hide is kind of an even deeper issue in our relationship with God. Hebrews 4.13 says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Hebrews 413 which is why there is a great kids song on an album called or by a group called Slugs and Bugs. Do I have any amens or fists in the air for Slugs and Bugs? Yeah. At least my kids. There's a great song that they sing that says, "Just tell it to Jesus before sin grows. Just tell it to Jesus, he already knows." As kind of Simple as that is, there's something profound about it, right? Who are we fooling if we think we're keeping things concealed from God? 
We're not fooling him. We're only fooling ourselves. Proverbs 32 offers a powerful testimony of what happens when we aim to keep things concealed from God. When we think, you know what? God's been merciful and gracious to me so far, so I must be okay to keep running in this direction. I tried this once and I got away with it. I tried it twice and lightning bolts didn't strike. I tried it three times and other people got a little bit suspicious, but God's still cool. He must be okay with this, we reason. But Psalm 32 gives us a profound picture of what really happens in our own souls when we try to keep things hidden from God, David says in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Do you know what that feels like? I know what that feels like from personal experience. And David continues... And God's Word gives us these words for our own experience. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. We aren't nearly as effective at keeping things hidden as we think we are. And so maybe if I could just suggest a few questions for personal consideration for a moment before we kind of rush past this point and say, yeah, 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 I got it. It's not good to keep things hidden from other people. Yeah, 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 it's not good to keep things hidden from God. He already knows. Before we just say, yeah, 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 a couple questions for consideration. Is there some area of your life that you have kept intentionally hidden from others? Carefully hidden from others? Is there some area of your life that you have continued to dismiss in your own heart as it's not that big of a deal? Even though other people kind of in their care for you have maybe even talked to you about it or raised concerns or asked questions and you keep saying to them and you keep saying to yourself as if you're trying to convince yourself, listen, it's not that big of a deal. Is there some area of your life where you've continued to think, I can handle this on my own? The hiding impulse lives deep within each one of us. As sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, as it were. And here's the first problem with the hiding impulse. We aren't as good at hiding as we think we are. But there's a second problem with the hiding impulse, which might come as maybe a bit more of a surprise. The the second problem with the hiding impulse is that it isn't nearly as important as we think it is. In other words, there really is a better way for us than keeping things hidden. Look again with me at Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 
Listen, there is a better way than keeping things hidden. And so when the enemy of your soul comes and tells you, you better keep this hidden. When the accusations from your own heart say it's best to try to handle this ourselves without involving anybody else. When God's word or God's people are calling you to turn and to walk in a different way and we just keep saying, I got this. Listen, there is a better way than trying to keep it hidden and trying to keep it managed all by ourselves. There is a better way. And that better way is the way of confession. Notice that Proverbs 28.13 gives us a way that calls instead of that calls us to instead of concealing our transgressions to confess them to practice a kind of openness about them but not only openness you see, if we read Proverbs 28, 13, and we walk away thinking the teaching of this passage is simply that instead of hiding things, I should just be open and I should just process things out loud and I should just pour my feelings out and express my feelings more freely. And that's the better way. We need to realize that probably being open and just expressing your feelings probably in most cases is better than just stuffing those feelings down and keeping them hidden. But even then, there's something less than fully healing about just expressing ourselves. And sometimes we see this more easily in other people's lives than we see it in our own. So maybe an illustration will help. Um, I love Major League Baseball. Some of you love Major League Baseball. And it's the time of year that we think about Major League Baseball, and it's the time of year that we think about one of the great figures in Major League Baseball history, a fellow named Pete Rose, yeah? Pete Rose has more career hits in Major League Baseball than anybody else by far. He has, I think, if I got the number right, 4,256 career hits, which is more than a thousand more than anybody who's playing baseball right now. He is like way out there in another kind of stratosphere than everybody else. And yet, as many of you know, Pete Rose has never been inducted to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Why does the fella with the most hits of all time not, why is he not in the Baseball Hall of Fame? Because there were allegations that, toward, that, that in, during his career, he broke the rules of baseball by betting on games he was involved in. And finally, a few years ago, after a decade and a half of denying that he had broken the rules, Pete Rose, instead of just concealing, instead of just hiding things, Pete Rose tried another gear, another idea. He tried, instead of hiding things, to just be open about it. And listen to what Pete Rose says as he tries to be open about it. He says at the end of kind of a long thing, he says, I'm sure that I'm supposed to act all sorry or sad or guilty now that I've accepted that I've done something wrong. But you see, I'm just not built that way. So let's leave it like this. I'm sorry for all the people, fans and family that I hurt. Let's move on. Now, here's what I'm saying 
I think that's probably healthier for Pete Rose than hiding it. Doesn't have to carry the weight on his shoulders of lying all the time. Probably healthier for him. Probably healthier for his family and his friends and his fans. Probably better for the sport of baseball that there's no longer this cloud of obvious deception surrounding him. But when Pete Rose says, yeah, 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 let's move on. Is that really the healthy approach to dealing with transgressions of the past? I think we all can easily recognize maybe that's a little healthier than lying, but it's still not a fully healthy approach. And Proverbs 28:13 recognizes that when it says, whoever conceals his transgressions denies them for 15 years. Whoever conceals them will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes. You see what Proverbs 28, 13 is getting at? It's not just a matter of blurting out and expressing our feelings and saying, now I feel better now that I've admitted what I did wrong. There's a confession that is just a matter of trying to appease our own feelings. And there's a kind of confession that says, I realize what I did was wrong and I'm intending to go in a different direction now. Proverbs 28.13 calls us not only to confess our transgressions, but to forsake them, to turn away from them. And sometimes we still try Pete Rose confessions with each other, don't we? Look, I'm sorry if what I said hurt your feelings. Can we just move on? Look, I'll buy you a Starbucks. Can we just move on, though? Look, sign this non-disclosure agreement and we'll all get going with our lives. Let's pretend like nothing ever happened. In fact, the only problem is that you keep bringing up the problem. Let's move on, can we? These Pete Rose confessions without confessing, without confession, without repentance... These Pete Rose confessions may lead us to feel like there's a little bit of an emotional weight off our shoulders because we're no longer living in such deception, but we aren't yet fully aligning ourselves with the way of the kingdom of God, which invites us not only to be open and honest, but to live in a new and better way, to walk on a path not only of confession, but also repentance. And while this may seem demanding at first to not only confess, but even to repent, I want you to see that this is ultimately freeing for us. The doorway of confession and repentance is a doorway to true and deep and lasting freedom. Why? Because there's a word of hope in Proverbs 28.13. There's a word of hope. Whoever confesses and forsakes those transgressions will obtain mercy. I don't know what kind of rings in your ears when you hear these words, transgression, mercy, Transgression is an awfully old-fashioned word. Unfortunately, mercy can be a bit old-fashioned in its own way as well. 
Maybe for some of us, when we hear words like transgression and mercy, and we think, well, where do those words belong? Maybe we first think of them as kind of legal words. Transgression is what I can be convicted of. And mercy is maybe when I get a lighter judgment than what I deserve from the judge. But in the Hebrew language that the book of Proverbs was written in, we need to realize that this is not kind of first and foremost legal language, just about guilt and severity of punishment. This is first and foremost relationship language. We talked about that word transgression earlier in our series on Proverbs. It's that word pasha. And I like saying it like that because it sounds like what it is. There are various words in the Bible's vocabulary for sin. Um, because you know what they say about like um, Inuits have so, you know, 50 different words for snow because they're around it all the time and so they need a rich vocabulary. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't even know if that's true. I never looked that fact up before I say it up here. But if it is that, you know, there's that saying that, you know, Eskimos have 50 different words for snow because they see it all the time so they need a rich vocabulary to describe it. The Bible has a whole bunch of different words for sin. Why? Because our world that we live in is so broken we need a rich vocabulary to describe it. There's so much brokenness and hurt and shame and evil and injustice and sin and wrong and evil and even transgression all around us. We need a rich vocabulary for what is transgression and how does it fit in the vocabulary of sin? Uh, an illustration that might help is, the illust- is, is recognizing that this word transgression is essentially a, a relationship word. It refers to a breaking of trust with somebody with whom you should have an experience or relationship of trust. And so if you steal, um, if, if, if you are walking down the street in another neighborhood somewhere, and you see a laptop computer, or let's just say an iPhone on somebody's porch, and you grab that iPhone and you run, and you sell it at the street corner to somebody else, that's a certain kind of sin. I'm not endorsing it. Certain kind of sin. But if your neighbor says, hey, can you hold my phone for me? Your neighbor who you love and you live right next door to them, you care about them, you've taken care of their kids before, and they say, hey, hold my phone for me for a second, and you run down to the corner and you sell that phone to somebody else, That's not just a sin, that's a pashaw. I just broke trust with somebody I know and care about. I just broke trust with somebody who trusted me. I just broke trust with somebody that I care about. A transgression is a breaking of trust. It's deeply relational language. And so when this proverb talks about concealing pashaw, concealing those Things that we have done to break trust with other people. It's going all the way out there to one of the hardest case scenarios. You see what I'm saying? It's one thing to say, can you confess stealing a stick of bubble gum when you were a little kid? Didn't really hurt anybody. Didn't really break anyone's trust. It's another thing to begin confessing um, that you've had... Thoughts in your heart towards someone other than your spouse. That's a, that's a pashaw kind of thing. And that's where the lies scream at us and say, you better keep that one concealed. 
better keep that one hidden. Because if you bring up that thing where trust has been broken, it's going to be big problems. Or maybe we wrestle to confess serious ways that we have let down our company and maybe even violated corporate policies, breaking trust with the corporation or with the employer or the team that we work with. And something inside of us screams and says, that's a pshaw. That's not just a stick of bubble gum when I was a kid. You better keep that one hidden because if you let that out of the bag, there will be serious consequences. And on and on. We're talking about serious issues of relational nature. And Proverbs 28.13 has the boldness to say, whoever conceals those relational breaches will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy, which is also relational language. Mercy is not just the judge saying, I'll give you less of a sentence than you deserve. Mercy is the heart of a parent toward a child. Mercy is a mother's heart of compassion and love toward her infant. Mercy is a father's heart that so bends and leans toward his toddler that even when his toddler with wide eyes is shaking his head and saying, nope. Dad still has a heart that doesn't say, oh, how dare you? Dad has a heart that says, son, we're going to have to work on that, but boy, do I love you. (laughs) Compassion is the parent's heart for a child. It's, It's relationship language. It's not only the language to use kind of New Testament lingo for a minute or theological lingo mercy is not only the language of justification being declared righteous mercy is the language of adoption being drawn into the family of god and embraced by him and his love and the promise of proverbs 28:13 is that when we have committed peshaw kinds of sin, breaking trust with God, not just the little things, but the big moments when we have broken trust with God and we think maybe this one is too far. Proverbs 28.13 gives us this word of hope. Whoever conceals his peshaw will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will receive the Father's embrace of love. Mercy, grace, compassion. And what is our assurance that this will happen for all who do in faith draw near to God and confess our sins from Him? And confess our sins to Him. What is our assurance? Our assurance is twofold. First of all, this is the Father's very heart. This is the Lord's very heart. When the Lord reveals His character to Moses in that famous moment in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, a foundational verse in our Bibles, the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible, you can digest that phrase later, is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the rest of the Bible. Very influential verse. 
Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, God reveals His character to His people and He reveals Himself like this. The Lord, the Lord, a God, was the first word He uses. Merciful. Full of compassion. The Lord, the Lord, a God who is eager to scoop His people up in His parental embrace. And this is the testimony of so many saints across the years. In fact, we read a few minutes ago David's testimony of trying to hide his sins from the Lord and the negative consequences that came from it. And he said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. What is the balm for this? What heals our souls when we feel that kind of weight from having concealed our sins? The balm is this, Psalm 32, 5, very next verse. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions, my pshaw to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is his very heart. And so just this morning as I was studying the Psalms with about a dozen people from this church on the Zoom class that we've been doing in the book of Psalms, we looked at this precious revelation of how God deals with us in Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Why? Listen to this picture. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. Can you stretch your brain out to that? How high did SpaceX launch this year? That's not the extent of the heavens. How far did that Mars lander get? That's not the extent of the heavens. How close is, how close is the nearest star? That's not the extent of the heavens. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my steadfast love Or so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. And as far as the east is from the west, how do you even measure that? I'm pointing the wrong direction and that probably bugs some of you. Okay, As far as the east is from the west, how do you even measure? As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows mercy, there's that word, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is his very heart. And this is his very heart which was revealed above all when he sent his own son in love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's how mercy works with the Lord. And oh, how sweet, how sweet it is to discover this freedom that is found in confession 
and repentance before Him. Tim Keller has famously pointed out that this is how the gospel works for those who embrace it. We realize not just one, but two things. When we stand before the cross of Jesus Christ, we realize first that I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared to believe. But we realize right after that, also, I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared to hope. This is how mercy works with the Lord and oh how sweet it is to be loved by Him. Unfortunately, I can't promise that everyone will respond as mercifully or as graciously or as compassionately as the Lord Himself would. In fact, I've been alive long enough and I've been in enough enough situations to realize that sometimes when we follow the pathway that's laid out for us in Psalm 28, 13 with other people and we say, all right, I'm not going to hide my Peshaw. I'm going to be open about it and I'm going to, I'm going to confess it openly and I'm going to tell this person that I've broken trust with that I, I, I realize I've, I've done wrong and I want, I want to do it differently going forward. And we say that to somebody and Sometimes instead of showing us a parental heart of compassion, a mother's heart or a father's heart, sometimes they take that confession and they'll use it as a weapon against us. I can't promise you that that won't ever happen in your life. But I can tell you that God's word is trustworthy. And it's a trustworthy guide for life in this world that we live in. And I can tell you that God's Word tells us in Proverbs 28, 13 that, it is, that there is a blessing in confessing. There is a blessing in it and there is something good about it. And so while I can't promise that everybody will respond the way the Lord will, this proverb invites us first to experience true and lasting freedom by confessing our sins to the Lord. And it invites us, secondly, to begin walking a pathway of experiencing freedom in our relationships with other people by walking in a path not of keeping things hidden, but of living in that pathway of following Christ that involves confession and repentance. So let me ask you to consider a few other questions here. What does confessing and forsaking need to look like in your own walk with God right now? Before we rush out of here, before we rush on with life, what does confessing and forsaking need to look like in your walk with God? Are there issues on your conscience that you've been ignoring, that you've been suppressing, that you've been saying, I got this, it's not that big of a deal anyway? What does confession and repentance need to look like in your walk with God? Secondly, what does confessing and forsaking need to look like with other people? Confessing and forsaking doesn't mean we tell every single thing to every single person. Fair enough. But who can you walk openly with? Who should you walk openly with? What would it look like for you to walk in confession and forsaking of sin with other people in your life. Who should you wisely involve? A parent that you haven't involved? 
a small group leader, a pastor, a counselor, a friend who can share wise and godly counsel? Who can you wisely involve? Proverbs 28.13 gives us gives us this beautiful picture. It starts with a warning. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But it ends with a promise of sweet reward. Whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. I want to invite those who are going to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward at this time. We're going to move at this time from kind of thinking about God's compassion and mercy toward us to kind of living in it. And I want to encourage you to consider a few things as we consider taking the Lord's Supper together in just a moment. First thing I'd like to encourage you to consider is your own heart. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you can hang out where you are. And the reason we say that is because taking the Lord's Supper is a sign of ongoing faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, even today, we would love to invite you to discover the mercy and grace, the compassion that's found from your Creator as you turn to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. We'd love to invite you even today to take a step of faith in His direction. But even if you are a believer and you're here today, I'd love to invite you to consider your heart. This is a good moment, a good opportunity for us to pause and to confess our sins before Him. Maybe to take that first kind of leap of soul in His direction. Saying, Lord, it's time to be done suppressing this sense of conscience. It's time to be open and honest before You. It's time to begin following You in a new leg of this journey. And as we do, as we consider our own hearts, I'd like to invite you also to consider the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in compassion, in His great mercy, loved us and gave Himself for us.